Welcome to Trillo Talk. This is a podcast dedicated to topics that we think are important to the profession of medical writing. And our goal is to bring topical issues to the forefront and hopefully spark conversations in the wider domain about these issues. Hello, folks. This is another edition of Trilla Talks. And today, this is uh, I'm Barry Dries, one of the senior partners at Trilogy Writing and Consulting. And today, I am really thrilled and pleased to have as my guest a good friend and colleague, one of the founding fathers of the European Medical Writers Association and a longtime standing member and former president of the American Medical Writers Association, Arthur Gertel, and I am going to let him introduce himself because I think self-introductions are much more valuable and insightful than being read from a card by somebody else. So, Art, can you introduce us yourself, please? Yes. Thank you, Barry. Uh, I'm Art Gertel, and uh, as Barry noted, I've been involved in this uh, arena of medical writing and bioethics for longer than I care to admit. Uh, I've been I've worked for the pharmaceutical industry, uh, big pharma. I've worked for uh, consulting groups, um, and I've sort of straddled both the regulatory submission side as well as the publication side. So I've had responsibility for both of those um, identities of medical writing. Uh, I've also um, begun a fairly rigorous bioethics career uh, spanning maybe 15 years now, where I have been involved in discussions on not just protections for human subjects in clinical trials, but also the representation of published scientific and medical information in media. So I come to this table with many different lenses, and uh, hopefully we will have a lively discussion about some of these aspects of the ethics of medical writing. So Barry, I look forward to joining you in this conversation. Okay, thank you, Art. And in fact, um, you have, may have noticed from the title, but otherwise, I didn't actually say what the topic was going to be, but Art has already moved in on that, which is great. We are here to discuss the ethics of medical writing, and in particular, something that never seems to go away, and that is, should medical writers be allowed to write up the results found by medical doctors in clinical research? You might think that seems obvious. It always did to me that they're assisting the doctor. They're not forcing the doctor to write or say things they don't want to. But for some reason, this never seems to go away. So first of all, Art, could you just give us a brief description of the issue? And then I would love to hear your take on why this never seems to go away. The concerns that have been expressed, whether founded or unfounded, seem to be that the medical writer can be a corrupting influence on the integrity of the science that is being represented in medical publications. And the misperception is that all physicians are innately qualified to clearly, succinctly, and accurately communicate scientific and medical information, regardless of whether they're um, 
native language is English, regardless of whether they have experience in writing and regardless of whether or not they can encapsulate the thoughts and the salient elements of the science into a readable and uh, compliant publication standard. So I think that the misperception is that the medical writers somehow will interfere with or corrupt the process of taking information from clinical trials, for example, or basic science, and communicating them accurately to the public and to the scientific community. Why do you think that this, because as long as I've been in medical writing, that seems to come up. People say, well, don't be ridiculous. The doctor isn't being forced by the medical writer. A medical writer is just assisting them and making their points clear. They work together with a doctor and all the doctor has to say to a sentence or a piece of data or graph or anything, no, and that's the end of it. Why is it this seeps, seems to keep coming up, even though, for example, statisticians who also help medical doctors never seem to have this issue? I think it really devolves down to two primary causes. One is that the conduct of medical writing involves writing in usually the English language, since that is the primary lingua franca of medical and scientific publications around the globe. Everyone who is a native English speaker, and even those who aren't, who acquire English as a, um, a, a very uh, fluent language, feels that anyone can write and write well, because certainly we all do that in one way, shape, or form. The other is that medical writing as a profession is not a degreed profession, as is biostatistics, for example. So if someone obtains a, an advanced degree in biostatistics, they are confirmed as someone who has arcane knowledge, specialist knowledge. The medical writer usually migrates from another discipline into the medical writing profession. And that discipline is usually one of the sciences, but their role is not seen as that of the scientist. Their role is seen as that of someone who takes information and communicates it in a publication or in a regulatory submission for approval of new medicines, for example. So the transition from scientist to medical writer is A, not well understood, and B is something that doesn't seem to confer specialist status on the medical writer. And so people from the outside are always looking for a corrupting influence. There's a undercurrent of distrust of the pharmaceutical industry, for example, since it is a commercial venture. And so when there is money involved and profit involved, people automatically assume that the pharmaceutical industry will bend information, uh, spin information in such a way as to maximize profit. And so the medical writer, if they are an employee of the pharmaceutical company, or if they are contracted to provide services to the pharmaceutical company, are seen as agents of that worst case scenario, which is 
they aid and abet the misinformation or the misrepresentation of science for the profit motive. Interesting. And I want to actually make two comments. One on something you said in the beginning about how people feel it's just writing. And I think a lot of people misunderstand that medical writing is more than just writing. It's, of course, something that's a personal passion of mine. And I've done Trilla talks on this topic about data presentation. And I'd like to quote someone else. A author named Calvin Schmidt uh, wrote a book called Statistical Graphics in 1983. And he says, quote, it is indeed strange, perhaps even incredible, that social scientists and statisticians who would be outraged by ungrammatical sentences, misspelled words, or even improper punctuation are so indifferent, if not actually receptive of crude, clumsy, and amateurish charts, end quote. Um, you know, and I really find that to be true, that it's, you know, data presentation, choosing the best way to present data, whether in a table or in a graph or what kind of graph, it can be gigantic in terms of communicating, um, both with the authorities and increasingly, because we do more and more of this with the public, uh, definitely. So I think that's an element that is often forgotten, and maybe it comes from the use of the word medical writer, um, I know that there have been attempts over the years to change that into medical communication specialist and things like that. Do you think that would help this issue at all? I think it's a great question. And and I know that there, Thanks, have, been, <laughs> there have been many discussions about, is this name doing more damage than good to the profession? Because it distills down the many skill sets that a medical writer brings to the table to be represented by the term writer. And as you stated earlier in the preamble to the question, writing is in, so, in some respects the least of the skills that is brought to the table. Medical writers have to be not just jacks of all trades, but masters of many. They have to be well-versed in biostatistics, in graphical representation, as you mentioned, distilling and interpreting vast quantities of data, being analytical, being interpretive, and being able to communicate all of that in a way that conveys not just the accuracy of the representation, but the integrity of the information. Those are two different things. You know, you can be accurate, but present information in such a way as to mislead. However, you have to gain the trust not just of the audience for whom that information is being provided, but also for people who are being treated by decision makers about the inter medical intervention that you are reporting on. So it's not just a prescriber, it's not just a regulatory authority, but it's also particularly in this time of distrust of science people who are being willing to put them their futures, their health, their life, their safety into the hands of those people who are relying on the information that is prepared by the medical writer. And so I think that, you know, going back to what term could we use to better describe the profession, to maybe gain uh, some sense of credibility or some sense of appreciation for what the writer brings to the table. I don't know. 
<laughs> I haven't been able, other than Master of the Universe. You know, it's it's very difficult to come up with something that embodies the broad spectrum of skills that the medical writer brings to the process. Well, I really respect your answer because if there was an easy answer to this question, we wouldn't still be calling ourselves medical writers. Um, you know, and I think this is one of those things where it's got to be short, snappy, catchy, but it's also got to do what we want it to do. And those are two very difficult goals to bring together. I mentioned medic or scientific communication specialist was thrown around by a couple of companies. Um, I remember, I think AstraZeneca used that for a while. Um, but boy, it doesn't really roll off the tongue now, does it? Well, no, <laughs> that... writer is kind of a short, snappy thing. So I think it's going to be tough to replace that. Sorry, go but ahead. I think the communicator only addresses one element mm -hmm. of the writing skill set. And I think that it, it probably tends to be more associated with publications medical writing than regulatory medical writing. I think it does a disservice to the profession. I think it does not really embody those skills. And in one of the things we as a profession are concerned about now is how do we adapt to a world in which rapid dissemination of scientific and medical information is paramount? It, I mean, taking COVID-19, pandemic as the perfect sort of tipping point, you know, the catalyst for the lowering of the bar of standards for peer review, for example, for prior vetting, for taking the time to do it right, because there is such desperation to find an intervention that will either cure, slow down, mitigate, and reduce the, the horrific impacts of a pandemic. And so the government, the general public, the scientific community have been willing to say, in this time of crisis, we are willing to allow out into the public domain information that may not have met the standards that we normally would apply pre-pandemic. And because of that, there is much misinformation, sloppy science, science released too early, um, unvetted information. And you couple that with social media, which has no barriers and has no standards with respect to integrity. And so anyone can post anything on Facebook, anyone can post anything in a pre-publication or a pre-print, and it, even if it has a, uh, a marker that states these data have not been peer-reviewed, they should be taken with a grain of salt, they become holy grail as soon as they hit the streets. And so is there a role for the medical writer from an ethical perspective to somehow serve as a gatekeeper, provide some sense of quality, integrity um, to the process prior to these uh, publications getting out into the public domain. 
I think there is, but it relies upon foundational um, acceptance of that role and the building in of some sort of process across the board that at least inhibits the Wild West free distribution of any information. So I don't know. That's a really interesting thing that brings us several thoughts to my mind. I mean, that's something certainly I see as well. And I even as my neighbors and non-scientist people I know, they know that I am a scientist and that I work in the pharmaceutical industry. So I've had questions like, aren't you worried about this vaccine? I've heard that three people who got it had heart attacks. And I have to explain to them that that doesn't mean anything unless I know how many people total and who didn't have heart attacks. And not only that, how that compares to a similar group that didn't get the vaccine. So maybe those three heart attacks were normal. Maybe there were even fewer. And those concepts are really difficult. Um, I'm working on an AI tool through Trilogy and I've been talking to the programmers. These are not stupid people. These are not uneducated people. These are highly intelligent, well-educated people. And yet the amount they knew about clinical research was zero. I had to explain what a placebo was. I explained a double blind study and they looked at me like, wow, Barry, that's a really good idea. And I was like, yeah, well, it wasn't really my idea. Um, but I have to admit, I was kind of shocked that that information is not out there. And this certainly feeds into something I felt for a long time, which is it's education. We need to educate people better about science. The big challenge there, of course, is that maths and some of these things are not easy and people turn away from it if it's not taught really, really well. I recall a little story where I went to the PTA meeting at the German school where my son attended, I live in Germany, and they were debating, you may or may not know this, but many German schools still require you learn Latin. And they have what they call big Latin and little Latin. Little Latin, I think, is three years. Big Latin is like six. And they were debating about it. And I stood up and I said, I would just get rid of Latin altogether and put more chemistry, math, and physics in there. I mean, come on, we live in such a scientific world where you're facing science constantly and you guys are arguing about whether it's better to have three or six years of Latin? You know, look, I've got nothing against Latin, but come on, you know, we it's need- It's a dead language. <laughs> it's a dead language. We need scientifically literate citizens if we're going to deal with the future. And, and as Art says, I think the COVID-19 thing has just been perfect. I've been appalled by what people ask me and what seems to be going on out there, let alone false information. You know, something similar. I said, and they say, what do you think? I'm like, I think we need to wait till the dust settles and see what actually this means. A lot of that stuff is super preliminary. Um, and I think that, you know, you and I, Barry, are, you know, we're trained empirical scientists. And so we forget that we've been through a lot of training, education, contextual experience that by far the vast majority of other people have not. And so what we take as truth and what we take as scientific method, we understand, we appreciate, and we believe in. Educating people about this is not a quick half-day seminar, number one. And number two, it assumes that they want to be educated. Mm -hmm. And right now, at least in the States, 
there is this huge tribal schism between people who are politically motivated to deny science and to deny truth and those who give credit to science for bringing to light new medicines, cures, and treatments. And so, you know, I had a discussion with a neighbor who is very much anti-vaccine. And she had said, well, I've had COVID-19. I have antibodies. I don't need to get vaccinated. And I explained, I said, well, you know, the the antibody titer for exposure to COVID-19 is nowhere near that for the vaccines. And she said, well, I don't trust Fauci, who is the president's scientific advisor uh, for COVID. And I don't trust the pharmaceutical industry. It's all a conspiracy so they can make money. (laughs) She said, you just have to use common sense. (laughs) And I said, okay. I'm clearly not going to make much headway here. However, let's take a couple of examples of common sense. For most of human history, we believed the earth was flat because common sense would tell you, look out over the horizon. You don't see the curvature of the earth. Clearly, the earth is flat. Is the earth flat? No. How do we know it's not flat? Because science tells us, and more recently, photography from extraterrestrial viewpoints shows us that the earth is not flat. For most of human history, we believed that the sun revolved around the earth because you get up in the morning, the sun rises in the east, you see it moving across the sky, and in the evening, it sets in the west. Does the sun revolve around the earth? No. So common sense does not always comport with reality. And those who deny, those who have been working in a field, trained in a particular discipline, like epidemiology, for example, and to not give them credit for bringing knowledge that will enhance the understanding of a disease and the interventions is so destructive to the health of the human population on this planet. And so the medical writers are, you know, they're vehicles for communication of truth. Okay, well, I had, again, a number of thoughts as you were talking. <laughs> we'll start at the end. I was once asked to write an article for a newsletter, and I said, what would you like the topic to be? Something to do with medical writing. They said, anything you want. So I said, okay, my article is going to be, can medical writing save Western civilization? And knowing me, Art already knows that my answer was going to be Yes. <laughs> I mean, the idea was it was a bit of a, a facetious thing, but, you know, that we live in a very technological and scientific age where those things have a big meaning and we need to better educate people in general, which is going to be my second point. And part of that is communicating with non-scientists. And that's kind of what medical writers do. I also big I'm a big fan of people like Carl Sagan and people like that who, um, you know, talk about or bring science to the general public, because I think those are hugely important. And they've long been kind of poo-pooed and looked down on by mainstream scientists. I do want to address two other things. The sun example, I think, is great, because unlike the flat Earth, where you can see photos of the round Earth, the the sun going around the Earth, as opposed to the Earth going around the sun, it's very hard to find anyone who can really explain why we know it's the other way around. 
It has something to do with Kepler's rules and something, but it's not trivial. Um, and yet your eyes tell you every day. And I think that's quite a fascinating example of how we all do basically believe something, most people anyway, um, and we don't really know why. And that can be a dangerous thing too. That's another part of science education I think that has to change. And that leads me to the final thing. You talked about this schism. And I know where you're going with that because politically, Art and I are very similar. And you tend to think there's one political group that just denies science and there's another that accepts science. Except when I see the sort of other group that supposedly accepts science rejecting science, for example, gene manipulated crops and things like that. And I often am in organizations and they hear my political views and they say, of course you're against gene tech, right? I go, no, not at all, that's absurd. And people, you know, it's almost, so I think there's a plenty of non-science to go around. It does tend to be more on one side. Uh, I think you can't avoid that conclusion when you look at it, but it's far from completely absent on the other side. And I think that something, and you know, I was gonna say, what do you think the answer is? But probably we're both gonna suggest the same answer and that has got to do with education. And, and that, that's think, a long, hard road. Go ahead. And I think that there's also an element of trust. You know, it's very interesting that we, for many, many, many millennia and generations have taken on faith that people who are educated in a discipline should be believed. So when I was growing up and you went to your doctor and they said, I'm going to prescribe you these pills because I know that, that you know, I'm by training qualified to make this determination. He said, yes, doctor, I'll, I'll take the pills. In the age of social media, there's a lot of information out there that some people will take as believable and others will challenge, sometimes not for good reason. And so you end up in a situation where people will cherry pick information, they will use it to justify their own decisions, and they may or may not trust the authority anymore. And I think trust goes hand in hand with critical thinking that if you have reliable information at your desktop and you can analyze, interpret, and make decisions based on that, all well and good. But you may not have the training, education, and understanding to be able to do that. And that's where the medical writer, as a surrogate for the individual interpretation, analysis, and decision-making, becomes critical because in essence, what the medical writer is doing is serving as your analytical doppelganger, you know, creating something that makes sense, that is clearly explained, that calls to the, the, the fact, the tabular information, as you said earlier, that will support the decisions that are being made. And from a regulatory perspective, it's do they trust you? From a public communication perspective, do they trust you and make their decisions based on that? And so I think the medical writer is in some sense a gatekeeper of truth mm -hmm. and is the person who is creating a story that is believable and actionable.
Well, uh, listening to all this great stuff about medical writers, you know, I can't wait to get up tomorrow morning and uh, start writing again. <laughs> and um, live the dream. You know, <laughs> I, I totally agree with you, and it's quite interesting about this. I think also transparency, which is a big part of what we do, why we're saying what we're saying, what are the possible criticisms of it or the exceptions of the things that don't match. You know, one thing I really love is to do an analysis with outliers and without. And when people say, which is the correct one? I go, there is no correct one. You got to show both and show what is the better explanation. And I think that kind of thing, although I kind of blithely said science education, is critical thinking, evaluating the evidence and wanting to know what is real as opposed to just what feels good. Um, I will wrap things up now because the time is getting late. But when I first moved to Germany, many of my German university friends would say, who says something is more important than what they say. And I, as an American from California, who had lived through the 70s, said, no way. I don't care if Einstein says it. If it's stupid, it's stupid. And if a person, a homeless person on the says something brilliant, it's brilliant. But you know what? I've moved more in their direction. It is important who says something. And that's part of the transparency and knowing. It's like, okay, this person says something. Are they knowledgeable in that field? Do they have the training and so on to say something about that? Not that it's the end of the story by any means. You need both, but it's definitely a middle way. Uh, you can't just say, because as Art points out, I think brilliantly, you know, we are not necessarily in a position to judge things. When I read about climate modeling, I am not trained to make a, a sensible call on that. So then you have to look at what the various experts say, who says against it, what are their arguments, and then decide. And that, I think, is critical. But I love what I was saying, that medical writers can play and do play and should play a key role in that. Yeah, I, and I know we're trying to wrap up here, Barry, but That's I just great. wanted no, to I, say that Art, give us your final from, a, from a historical perspective, it's very interesting that you call to uh, the discussion the who says it model. And I remember when I first started out in medical writing, when we submitted an application for new medicine approval to the European authorities, a lot of the approval was based on what was known as the expert opinion report. And the expert opinion report was Herr Dr. Professor essentially, you know, giving their stamp of approval to this application saying that, you should trust this. You should approve it because I have given it my imprimatur. And so the, the EMA has moved away from that. And I mean, I used to write some of these expert opinions as, as a, in a sense, ghostwritten for the expert. Um, but the, the European model is now migrated more towards strictly data-based decision-making a la FDA. And it's interesting to see within maybe a 30-year span that transition. But I agree with you. I think the source of the information is critical to the credibility. And and I, you know, I think if given a choice and you are knowledgeable, I would always take the database argument. But given a topic, which is what Art introduced, where you're not knowledgeable, you know, what do I think about black holes? I don't know anything about black holes. So I'm going to have to take Stephen Hawking's opinion on that. And reading about him and what he says, that seems like a pretty wise thing to do, as opposed to some crazy fringe religious group. So I think 
you know, that's a great example because for the most of the public, they don't know anything about many of these topics and they have to go with something. So, yes, medical writers can play a key role in that. Um, we need to, to strengthen the profession and give it more respect. But, um, yeah, I definitely agree that we'll probably never stop this discussion and this concept of the ethics of medical writing until we improve that. And that's something that needs to happen in Western civilization per se, basically. Anyway, Art, we, you and I could go on, on this <laughs> I know. Just hours, and at the end, we'd be sorting out the least piece. Um, but uh, yeah, always fun to see you again, Art, and chat. And uh, yeah, hopefully we will have another one of these on some other medical writing topic. Yeah, so, and on any other topic that we choose, because as we both know we, we can uh, go on forever about just about anything. So that's great. Great. Thanks a lot, Art. And Thank you, Mary. Great to see you. Great to talk. And uh, appreciate this opportunity to be on the podcast faculty. Okay. My pleasure. Bye. Bye-bye. So thank you for listening to Trilla Talk today. If you enjoyed it, please come back and listen to us again. If you have feedback on this or any of our sessions, we would love to hear it. In addition, if you have ideas for future topics that you'd like us to cover, particularly something you think the community should be talking about, let us know. We would like this to be an ongoing conversation with medical writers at large. And you can send us comments on our Twitter feed or on our LinkedIn page. Just a reminder, you can find all our episodes of the Trilla Talk podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and trilogywriting.com backslash Trillotalk. Have a good rest of your day. Thank you.